Okay, here we are again. Conversation with Alaskan Gardeners. We're ready to have a conversation. This is Margaret Tharp and David Lendrum of Landscape Alaska. We're on the air, K-I-N-Y. It's a call-in show. It's uh, 1-800. No. No, 907-586-1800. We've been goofing that up a lot lately. But anyway. Many, many years. This is garden party time, man. This weather is absolutely kick it, you know. It's just wonderful. And we're having our own party next Friday. Whoopa! Yeah, and uh, I'm so excited. We haven't had a summer party in ages. Yes. Our, our son, we're celebrating our son's wedding, and uh, all these people are coming in from out of town, and I'm rearranging the entire nursery so we can have a picnic in our greenhouse. So it looks like Party Central. It's not yet, but I plan on it. Oh, if you're going to be interested, come by in the next next week or so as you see Margaret assembling a Party Central at Landscape Alaska. It's always beautiful there. There's no doubt about it. But once she gets her fingers in it, you know, things change rapidly. And it looks lovely. Absolutely lovely. We went oh, touring a few of our... Rec- I'm glad it's happening in the greenhouse. Yeah, <laughs> we went touring a couple of... of uh, the jobs that she's been working on this morning, what a transformation. There's nothing well, thanks, like having, nothing like having a, a skilled director and a crew of willing laborers. I have the best crew. They're it's absolutely fabulous. Absolutely fabulous, uh-huh. you know, and, 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 and we, you got all the tools, so it makes all the difference in the world. Well, and we're working together, so no one person gets the bad job. You know, everybody gets the bad <laughs> everybody job. Everybody gets the bad <laughs> job, and we all do it together. That's right, cutting down horsetail, digging out the roots of things. Well, you know. I really love my job. I really love working in the landscape. It, it is what makes me thrive and be happy. And taking places that really on their own have been left to look unattractive and bringing them their beauty back out is really, for me, what life is all about. So well, I'm, I go every day and just get charged with happiness. Being on my hands and knees, fighting the horsetail. <laughs> I got stung by a wasp that came up out of the ground the other day. <laughs> I got up under your shirt and stung you in the neck. Uh huh. Oh, how exciting was that? Oh, pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and was your was your reaction calm? Well, not really, but I at the same not. time, uh, luckily we had ice in our cooler, and I could put a. Uh, ice cube on it to cool, right away right away and yeah cool it makes it down. a world of difference so as you look around the landscapes and you see things are blooming it is right now as as this kind of midsummer effect there's so many things that are in full flower right now and what i look at i'm sorry because i do maintenance is my thing i really see how people don't know what to do with their shrubs you know, after they've had them for 10 years and they have never done anything but fertilize them, they've never pruned them, they don't know what it means to prune, I think that you ought to give a class, not this week, but next week, on pruning. So Next that, week when all the people are in No, town? no, after they've gone away. Oh, okay. Um, when they can learn that it's not cut off the top, it's take out the older canes. Yeah, yeah. So that the younger, smaller canes are the dominant growth pattern because when you cut off the top of something like spireas or rugosa, rugosa roses or whatever they just end up making a big broom <laughs> of sticks at the end of where you've cut them so that's right it looks to, so weird you have to cut them off all the way down to the ground so what margaret's talking about are those class of shrubs that have many stems coming up out of the ground rather than a single trunk 
So things like spireas and dogwoods and rugosa roses. And the way you treat them is called renewal pruning. And you go back into the plant and you take the oldest canes off at the ground and leave the young, vigorous ones. And it, it not only reduces the overall size of the plant, but it in, reinvigorates it. And they send up more sprouts the next year. And the young plants, the young sprouts are what really flower. So in the, in the long time, look, if you've got that kind of a shrub, that's really the pattern to follow. Lilacs are in the same category. Miss Kim lilacs in the same category. And all those kind of multi-stemmed shrubs. So, you know, you look at the Fred Meyer landscape, and it's nicely maintained. It's, I'm certainly not saying that. But all those great big snowmount spireas that are in full bloom, they need a heavy pruning. Because they, they will they'll, they'll live for another 20 or 30 years, but they'll just get monstrous. And you can't have monstrous stuff in a managed landscape. It a, it's managed. unsafe. You can't see around it. And B, they're just not as attractive anymore. Pretty soon when they get so big, their, their flowering capacity diminishes. I went to the search headquarters in Sitka last year, oh, two years ago now, and they showed me a, a snowmound spirea that had never been pruned. It had been in the ground probably 30 years. It was, it was as taller than I could reach and easily 15 feet across. A behemoth. <laughs> a behemoth. I have a photo of the five men standing in front of it, and it's still way bigger than they are. That's great. But, you know, they, they are able to manage that. And if you can't... Maybe they could make a tourist uh, drive-by out of it. Or drive through, just like the big <laughs> redwood trees. Anyway, and, and if you have also, any... Also, same thing. When you're, when you're doing this, it's the time to fertilize those babies. July is... You want to do it now. That's right. Don't wait till later. July but is the time to fertilize those babies for next year's flowering. But it's really hot and dry right now. So first you have to water really deeply one day and then go in while the ground is still moist and put your fertilizer down. Right. And remember also when you're fertilizing things, don't put it in a pile up around the trunk. Out at the drip line of where the branches are. That's right. That's where the active feeding zone for the roots are. They're not up by the trunk. They're out at the outside edges. Uh... 907-586-1800. If you want to share stories of big shrubbery that you've managed to resuscitate and renew, give us a call. And also, as you're looking around, there's aphids out there. Hmm. There's aphids. There's spit bugs. There's mealy bugs. Oh, there's the wasps, too. <laughs> but the, I can't do anything about the wasp. But I do have a solution for the aphids. And the response... Publicly, the response all over Southeast to these uh, these solutions has been phenomenal. So it's there are insect. aphid predators. There are bugs you can put out that eat aphids. And, and you, you put can, one little card per plant, isn't that right? That's how it works. These little, little cards come with the eggs of uh, lacewings, which love aphids. Every lacewing larvae will eat 300 aphids. That's and not the on right a, ratio. On a card, there's 500 little eggs. So, man, it really it really kicks. And what do they cost, Steve? Five bucks. Five bucks a card. Sounds like a good idea. We absolutely sold out our first shipment, and the next one is coming on Thursday. So if you want to get in line and get some, give me a call. Watch out Reach for your out elbow for there. You're um, kind of pulling, pulling on cords the... and things, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, and actually, I think I'm rolling around on top of them, too. Okay, give me a call, send us an email, send us a text, or come and talk to us, because get your name on the list, we'll send them out to you, and the nice thing about this is that we can just put them in the mail. 
We send them off to Sitka. We send them to Ketchikan. You just put them in the mail. And when they get there, you take them out and stick them onto your pepper plants in your greenhouse, your rose bushes that are filled with aphids, any of that stuff. And they hatch out. And the little bugs, which are microscopic to be seen, you can barely see them with a with your naked eye. see them moving around. But with a hand lens, when you look at them, they look like little alligators with short tails and, and great big teeth. They are loving to eat them aphids. That description just kills me. I like it, too. Okay, so we were looking around in the landscape, and there's uh, there's always the sense that things are really, really green. Really, really green, really, really green. And then something else is there, whether it be a bright yellow or a, uh, a dark blue-green. One of the prettiest things in the landscape right now that's real, real restful to the eyes is the silver-leafed brunera. And it's a, a low perennial, ground cover style, maybe 10 or 12 inches tall. Flowers all summer long with... with Starts early in the springtime. Real early. comes up while the, while the ground's still really cold. But the leaves on it are about the size of the palm of my hand and bigger. And they're silver with green lacing in them. And the so flower pretty. is a really bright forget-me-not blue color. It, it looks just like a forget-me-not flower, too. I mean, it's that pale blue with the No, the it's not center. pale. It's dark. Ah, bright. <laughs> You're colorblind. Yeah. You don't know what color it is. That's how it works. That's uh, that's my life. Oh, well. <laughs> but they're beautiful. They are beautiful, and right now they're at a very peak of their color. <coughs> we don't have a whole number of them, but uh, I notice that people walk by, they generally try to pick one or two up. They are really wonderful if you use them as a ground cover and have flower all season long and the leaf is beautiful too and it helps cover the ground so you don't have as many weed seeds blowing in. That's kind of how ground cover works. The mantra for low maintenance landscape is no bare earth. That's right. No bare earth. Cover it up and when you're covering it up Cover it up with things that get bigger than the competition. And David's not talking about landscape fabric. Plants don't like landscape fabric. No, they don't like it very much at all. No. It really reduces their vigor, reduces their size. Well, they can't get any fertilizer. They, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about growing ground cover that will be copacetic with the other plants and cover the bare earth so that weeds don't have the open space to germinate. And we call this... The, the Eagle, Eagle Crest, Crest method. method. That's right. Because you look at Eagle Crest or any other native I mean, We're talking about habitat. in the summertime, not when right. it's covered with snow. So you look at things and you see that it's a, a massive shrubbery. You know, an uninterrupted massive shrubbery that's in the two to four feet tall. With no weeds. The weeds are at the edge of the parking lot where the gravel is, you know. Weeds go to bare earth. Right. And I think if you don't have bare earth, then you're not going to get weeds. And if you can have it covered up real quickly in your new plantings, then you're going to avoid that stage. We look upon it like a kind of a calendar or a clock. You know, you're at a certain environmental stage of succession. And the next stage of succession, if you just relax, is plenty of weeds, which then become willows, which then become alders, which then become sitka spruces. Or horsetail. That's right. But if you bump ahead and, and you go right to... Uh, sh- shrub masses, then you get to skip all that stage with the horsetails. Or, or, or lingonberry, or cornus canadensis, Something. or br- brunera. Uh-huh. Or it doesn't have to be a native plant. It just has to, to work like that. Uh huh. Blueberries, the creeping the blueberries. Creeping blueberries are so pretty. 
And our berry plants up at Landscape Alaska right now, the gooseberries are just loaded. Isn't that something? I mean, loaded. They're I don't think we've ever seen a year where that where the crop is that heavy. Really and truly, the branches are laying almost down on the ground. There's so many gooseberries. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with them, there is a, a, flu, a fruiting member of the honeysuckle family called honeyberries. And they're in fruit right now. And there are, they taste kind of like Pop-Tarts. No, not Pop-Tarts. <laughs> What's that sour candy? that did? Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts? I thought Pop-Tarts went in the toaster. Anyway, they're a sweet and sour combination. <laughs> you don't eat candy. I don't either. I don't, so don't eat candy. Eat. I don't eat breakfast pastries. That's right. But I know that taste. It's really a sweet and sour taste. And they're kind of a, a rounded oblong. They're very unusual shape. Mm-hmm. But they're, they are they're charming. Pretty. And everybody that has tasted one has gone, wow, that's a great flavor. So, and they're tough. And they're tough, and they get big, and they like it in southeast Alaska, and they're originally from Siberia and northern Japan, so they are guaranteed hardy in our climate and too cool. The idea that they are they are fruiting honeysuckles just thrills me. Because they, when they come into bloom early, it's a honeysuckle flower. Right. You know, it's, it's a little pretty. honeysuckle flower, but they're sweet. They're actually tasty as a blossom. You can, you can eat them. You can feel that taste in them right then. Speaking of feeling the taste, those dwarf sunflowers are so cool. They're really cute. Really, really cool. So we look at them. Have around. you been feeding them? Yes, I have been feeding them. I've been feeding all the bedding plants because it's you know it's that time of year. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't keep your bedding plants fertilized, they're going to slow down. They de- decline. And they get yellow instead of green. And pretty soon they don't have any flowers on them. And then you got to throw them away. No, I don't like that. <laughs> So my ad for this week is about the hydrangea vines. And if, if, you've, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the hydrangea vine, it's one of the most successful climbers we have in Southeast Alaska. You know the gardening, uh, that in Facebook they have all these different gardening groups. Yes. And there's one out of the United Kingdom that is big. And that picture from them today on Facebook was a doorway trimmed in white with a black door and the wall of the house is covered with flowering hydrangea saying this is the vine to have oh, man but we don't like to put them on our houses here because they they tend I mean, to they have to be on a trellis they tend to dig into the house but if you got a stone house a brick house or one of those big old english stone covered houses or no, stucco but it's covered houses the concept of using it as an ornamental element that yeah. dominates the entry to your home. And they are successful. But what's really cool here in Southeast is planting them at the base of a Sitka spruce tree. And then they climb right up the tree. They go up 20, 25 feet. So, so on that note, and could, bloom. You, could you plant them at the top of a wall and have them climb down? Like you know, your cement wall? I, I have done something like that. I put them at the base of a a poured concrete wall, and some of the branches climbed up the wall, and some of the branches went down and ran flat on the ground. And it was on a sloping hillside, and so they were headed downhill all around it. Because one of the prettiest combinations that I've seen in another climate, of course, is a clematis growing with roses down a hillside. 
Wow. You know, and and then it was very... So the roses were spilling down the hill? Yeah. They were a climbing rose, but they didn't put them on a trellis. They just let them fall down on the ground. And it was over a cliff, you know what I mean? Over, oh, I did. Over the ocean, you know? Yeah. Oh. In a nice, you know, place. The Isles of Scilly. <laughs> Somewhere. And the clematis was all entwined with it, and it was hanging down there, too. I bet so, that was beautiful. So as many times as I see vines that are going up, I always think, well, will it go down? Because sometimes they won't. Sometimes they won't. That's right. right. They, they're just too strong. But I can see how that would happen. I, I imagine. I've seen the climbing hydrangea used as a ground cover in photos before. And it's it's pretty vigorous. Because we live in such a mountainous, <coughs> a mountainous environment here. There's a lot of walls and all kinds of surfaces that need a little enhancement to make them prettier. Uh-huh. And, of course, you need the right tools when you're doing that kind of thing. You need to be able to cut away all the old dead vegetation and to... to uh, clean things up and and there's nothing like those battery powered still tools for doing that kind of stuff we love ours we love ours and, and this we had week the pruners. we, we used, were working them we use the pruners and the we use the little batter, battery powered chainsaw and the battery powered handheld blower two two chainsaws and two handheld blowers even that's right you know tyler rental has been great for supplying all that stuff and and you know when you go into tyler rental it's so comfortable they greet you right away. They've got nice material. The store always looks good. And the guys behind the counter are instantly responsive. And, of course, I love to buy their gloves because I go through gloves almost every week. Uh-huh. And they have all that safety equipment, too. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do something with a motor, you want to have ear protection. And eye protection. And eye protection. they got a good supply in all kinds of sizes and all kinds of price points for it. Exactly. I'm waiting for the fall and for it to get a little cooler, and I'm going to buy one of those yellow zip front hoodies that they've got. I can just not imagine you in a yellow zip front hoodie at this temperature. Absolutely not. <laughs> I can just see you. You know, you want to boil today? Boil right up. I'm already boiling. Okay, so there are uh, rugosa roses that are coming into bloom all over town. And rugosas are the family that Sitka rose is in. And the Sitka rose is the old, the parent of all the other rugosas. And it's originally from the islands of northern Japan, where it grows in the sand at the edge of the beach. So that's why it's a spreading kind of plant that sends suckers up all over the yard. Which, if you don't want it to be like that, then you can either enclose the root in some kind of impenetrable barrier, or choose one of the clones that doesn't spread. Like the Hansa. Like Hansa. And or Blanche. De Courbet. Ah, uh-huh. Blanche Dubay de Courbet. Uh huh. Uh huh. Are we going to be able to get more of those? Yeah. Because I'd like to have at least twenty of them for next year. Sure. Along now, with the Hansas too. Now, what Margaret's talking about is is a Hansa. Ro- I mean, a uh, Rugosa rose, which is the same one, but it's one that's been hybridized, and it does not spread, but it has these big, fluffy, double white blossoms that are the purest white absolutely the purest white well color. and it's an ancient rose too oh yeah i mean out of france from the 1800s 1850s 1820s, that's right like that yeah and there are there are thousands of them in the world and they all bloom at the same time i love the thought of that <laughs> families I, holding hands that's right they're all over the world and they're all kind of saying me too hello it's my time my time to bloom and then they have those beautiful rose hips 
great big fat redwoods. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the the spreading rose, the the straight rugosa, is good for erosion control and difficult sites that don't have very good soil, uh, but not so great for the garden edge because they're so invasive. Right. If you want to have them, pretty much you're going to have that. You know, if you we well, have to like, have them. If you put them in the right place, then you can enjoy what they are. Right, and at the edge of your property, where your domestic property filters into the wild world, right. that's a great place for them. They can make a, a nice perimeter there. The wildlife likes them. The and the aphids that get on them, you can't see them because they're way over there. <laughs> but know, the, but the other ones that don't have runners are the ones to use in the garden. That's that, true. That's my point. And right now. We have in the nursery, we have a bunch of other kinds of roses selected this year just for growing and enjoying now. A couple of climbing roses. That are and there's an orange climbing rose that's in bloom right now. It's called, called Above It All. Above It All. Man, what a color that is. It is. It's, Someone stopped me in the grocery store last week and said, uh, what's a good yellow rose here? And, you know... 20 years ago when we did that elementary school by the by the post office mm-hmm. river edge river view river bend mm-hmm. river bend elementary we planted that yellow rose on the end of the brick wall that is harrison's yellow right and they were in bloom oh maybe for a month they were year. under an eve though too they're under an eve they're now they're as tall as i am as broad as i can reach and they probably had at any one time, they probably had 15 or 20 yellow roses. So are on. they on their own route? They're on their own route, right. So we ought to try to get some of those, too. I can, I can do that. I'll, let me make a note while I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Harrison's yellow. And uh, if anybody wants some, you got to speak up to me. The nursery business runs from August to August. And right now, we're placing our orders for next with the year. growers so they can harvest what we want and have it ready for sh- shipment in the springtime. And so if you want to have something special, you got to make sure to get in touch with me or whoever else you deal with and, and order this kind of stuff. So because, you know, Southeast Alaska is such a tiny market that if we don't put our orders in, we're not going to get the top quality material. And one thing that we found is that, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of lower quality material available. But if you want the top quality material, you got to speak up for it. you got to find it and get it. And, uh, and it makes all the difference in the world. It's not just did they take care of it, but did they choose the right varieties, the right varieties that are going to grow well here. And that makes, that makes a tremendous amount of difference. Especially with things like roses. Roses and Japanese azaleas. maples and azaleas yes. and rhododendrons. And, you know, er, the things that aren't really native here you have to have the right thing for them to thrive. That's right. Things will live struggling for a long time before they die. But in your garden and your landscape, you want them to thrive. Absolutely. And and you want to get them uh, in a fairly good size, too. You know, because our seasons are short. The days are long, but the monthly season is short. So you want them to, to have some stature when they get here. It's hard to start with really tiny things. But Unless you you're going to plant tiny. a bunch of them. Are you talking about four-inch pots versus gallon cans? Yeah, like that. If you have, if you want to, if you want roses, for instance, you can't do it in a four-inch pot. You want you want to get bigger-sized plants, right? Unless you, you want, have a greenhouse or something like that, you're going to protect them and grow them on in. I, I I know that I'm speaking out of both sides here because I really like getting the little-sized shrubbery and growing it on right. for mass plantings. But you only 
order the really tough things. Right. So we have been buying things like uh, hydrangeas. We've been buying hydrangeas in something about the size of a four-inch pot so that, that we can afford to plant them as a mass planting of things. And that does make a big difference. But if you want just one or two, don't get a little tiny one. Get a substantial one. Of course. Well, a, a, a two-gallon pot's nice in any size. I mean, anything in a two-gallon pot is a very respectable size. You don't have to go bigger than that if you are financially, you know... What is it called? Conservative. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, it's just a couple of years. Just a couple of years, and they'll get big. But uh, if you don't want to wait, buy big. That's how that goes. So we're coming along to the edge of the show, and I'm going to invite you all to come and visit us. Come visit us at Landscape Alaska on the Back Loop Road. And I'll show you what I'm talking about with the hydrangea vines. They're, they're in bloom now. They've been in bloom for a month. They're really big. They really are cool. And when the leaves come off them and you look at the bare branches on them. They're beautiful in the wintertime. They are absolutely stunning. They look like... Because they're peeling. Their bark peels lightly all over it. And then the ice and the snow builds up on it and looks really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have some big hydrangea vines. We've got some, just a few small hydrangea vines. Good. They, the they good, kind of made the their way out. The smallest are great. And, yep. you know, if and you they've really already grown on maybe a foot and a half this year. Yeah. They're vigorous. So we'll take a little tour. We can look at the uh, fruiting bushes. Look at the roses. Check out the golden-leaved conifers that are just glowing with good health right now. So one of the things I like about the gooseberry, just to speak of it out loud, is that once they get to where they are ripe enough to eat, you can just pick them, throw them in a Ziploc bag, and put them in your freezer. You don't have to do anything specific with them because you can use them in all kinds of ways in your cooking. You know, they're great for uh, putting on top of a roast or uh, accenting a vegetable casserole or, you know, because it's that piquanti sweet and sour they are and they look so cool and they look so cool the idea that you can have something that looks like a grape growing on a spiny vine a spiny bush is great and they've got little little starburst tips on the ends of them like a an apple does or like a rose hip does and you'd look at them and you can tell oh you guys are related so how are our currants are they coming along oh coming along and currants grow on a a string that hangs down from the shrub it's called a stipe and they're they're loaded, they're absolutely loaded. They're they're as long as my index finger is. Great. Yeah, and they're gonna have. Well, know, I think that we ought to set up a color. display. You know, we kind of have them off to the side, and we ought to set up a display of all the berry plants for this week. We have a new experimental berry. We have something that we've never grown before, called a dewberry, and it's from the upper Midwest. And, and it gets really cold where it lives, and it gets really hot where it lives. And they're a blackberry kind of a berry. They've got spiny, sprawling stems, but the fruit looks just like a blackberry. Uh, it's not ripe yet, so I haven't tasted it, but it looks just perfect. I'm ready but to show it But it's not invasive. Not invasive. Okay. Well, that's the story. Let's find <laughs> out. blackberries are certainly invasive. That's I a mean, different, that's the Himalayan blackberry. I've just seen right. Okay. Anyway, well, thanks for are. listening, you guys. Okay, we're done for today. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. This is Margaret Tharp and David Lundrum of Landscape Alaska, and we're wishing you all 
Happy gardening.